0: So today, we are launching Redemption Foster Care and Adoption. You heard about it last week. We are a part of three churches who have spearheaded a movement throughout the state of Arizona to address a crisis in our foster care system. There is 14,000 children in the foster care system in the state of Arizona. And we are calling the church, as the government has come to us and said, would the church step up and really address this? God's been moving in the heart of churches, and Redemption Church has spearheaded this movement. What we're launching today is a comprehensive ministry that has two arms. One is mobilization that you're going to hear about today to the entire cause of orphan care, from international to domestic, from fostering to adopting, we want to mobilize our church to get in the game on this issue. The other one is support. There's something in your bulletin about a connected child class that's starting for all of the families who are fostering and adoption and thinking through how to get that child connected, rooted in your family. Some great research by a woman named Karen Purvis. But this ministry will have mobilization and support Tied to it. And so you're going to hear about this today, and it's something we are not going to let off on, that we are committed to this as a church. And in light of that, we have brought in. Um, the lead pastor of Colorado Community Church. Robert Gelinas has also just recently written this book called The Mercy Prayer, which doesn't deal with this issue specifically, but it's an amazing pastoral look. at the most prayer, prayed prayer in all of the Bible, um, and the one that Jesus always answers, the prayer of Lord have mercy. We have them at our bookstore, direct you over there. But Robert's the lead pastor of the church that I first attended after I became a Christian when I was 17 years old in Denver, Colorado. My parents Still attend that church, and he has been extraordinarily influential on me and my family, and many of the leaders inside Redemption Church. And he's with us today to share a message about God's heart for the orphans. So, if you would, welcome Robert Jelineus. <clears throat>
1: Well redemption it is so good to be with you. You are a church that is living out your calling. You are known for being gospel centered and outward focused. You know what a relief that is as one who gets ready to stand up and share God's word to know that you already believe and want to live the gospel out. And my job is not to try and convince you to live your faith out in this world, but hopefully just to inspire you when it comes to a specific area of the scriptures. But also you are known for your incredible leadership here. I, I have been watching you from afar for years. I think of your founding pastor, Tom, and the foundation that he has given you as a church, incredible leadership that he has shown your, your lead pastors at all your different congregations. Tyler, I am I am honored to call you a friend, but then also I, just, I He'll never say this, but he is becoming recognized around this nation as just one of the great, humble Christian leaders. You are blessed as a church, as a congregation when it comes to your leadership. Do you agree? Do you agree? Just incredibly blessed. <laughs> hey, I hope you brought your Bibles. If you did, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1, verse 27. James chapter 1, verse 27. Let's remind ourselves as to what. God says about his heart for orphans. James chapter 1, verse 27. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can also turn your attention to the screens. It says, religion that God our Father accepts, as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's word. May it always fill our minds, flow from our lips, and find a home in our very hearts. My grandmother made sure I went to church since before kindergarten, she would drive me up to this one church. She herself would never go in, but she would just drive up outside and let me off, and I would go up the hill and into the church and into Sunday school and spend an hour there, and then I would come out, and she would be sitting in the same spot that I left, and I'd get in the car, and then we'd start that again every single Sunday. That's how it works. She'd drop me off. I'd go into Sunday school. That went on for years. When I was nine years of age, Sunday school teacher said, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? It was a question like that. I was still kind of fuzzy on the idea as to how somebody has a relationship with God. My Sunday school teacher recognized that. So when class was over, she kept me afterwards and she spelled it out for me. She drew diagrams. She said, you know, it's like you're here and and God's here and there's this chasm between you as, as wide as the Grand Canyon. You can't get to God. So God came to you and Jesus built a bridge with his cross and now anybody can have a relationship with God. So she explained that to me and then she said, do you want to give your life to Christ. Now, I had no idea what that meant. But what I did know, she's an authority figure in my life. Whatever she wants, she can have. I'll give my life to Jesus. And, and so... I got on my knees with her and I confessed my sins of nine years and everything I did wrong. I was like, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for the cross. We said amen. She was so happy. She had a smile on her face. She grabbed me by the hand, took me all the way outside to my grandmother and said, little Robbie just gave his life to Jesus. He needs to be in the worship service next week. And so the following week I am in my first worship service ever. Singing. Praying. Man got up and talked for a really long time. And then after that, after that, it was a Baptist church. So nothing's official in your relationship with God in a Baptist church till you walk down that aisle. So they started singing this song. And my Sunday school teacher grabbed my arm and took me down in front of the whole congregation and said, Little Robbie gave his life to Jesus last week. And they were so happy. And they're applauding. And I'm happy because they're happy. I'm not quite sure what's going on. But if they're happy, I'm all right. I'm going to go with this. Two weeks later, I'm in my second worship service of all time. I'm wearing a white robe standing in water. (laughs) And the man who talked for a really long time is in the water with me. And he says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he took me underneath the water and time stopped. Time stopped. I don't know how to describe what happened in that moment. But... A lifetime of stuff started to go on there. And when you're a little nine-year-old boy who doesn't know who your daddy is, there's certain words you listen for. And when you hear one of those words, it stops everything. And that man that day said one of those words. He says, Father... He said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when he said that, something happened on the inside. Best I can tell, I went in the water an orphan that day, but I came out a child of God. And I've never been the same. And and so I get out of the water and I go find my grandmother. She was outside in the car. And when I got out there... (laughs) I said, I, I need a Bible, because I'm thinking, if my dad wrote a book, I want to read that. And so, so she, she got me a Bible, and, and I remember sitting in my bedroom trying to figure out, where do I start? I mean, nine years old, 66 different books, which one do you start with? And I, I found a short one, five chapters, the book of James, which means I was nine years old when I first read those words that we just read together. Religion that God our Father accepts. The kind of religion that puts a smile on the face of God. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, among other things, cares for orphans in their distress. This is my wife, Barbara. We've been married some 19 going on 20 years. She is my best friend and my beloved bride. And after a couple of years of marriage, we had that conversation about having children. We decided to move forward with that. And our first child came into our family through through birth. Her name, Selah. Selah is now 15 and a half going on driving. Pray for us because of that. And... Um, <clears throat> And she is absolutely beautiful, especially in her heart. Her name is Selah. It's based upon that, that little word you see in the book of Psalms. And most people believe it means to pause and reflect. And our prayer for her is that she will be so full of God's love and his grace. And she will be such a worshiper of God that whenever somebody encounters her, they have no choice but to pause and reflect upon the goodness of God. But, but then I don't know when it started. It's not like my wife and I sat down and had this conversation. Let's build our family from now on through adoption. We didn't sit down and plan this out, that every child now that's going to come into our home is going to come from the foster care system, come from orphans around the world. It just seemed so natural. We live in a world where there are so many so many children that need homes. I, the first book of the Bible I read, said that this is the kind of religion that God our Father accepts. My wife walks close to the heart of God. And all of that put together caused... caused... Caused us to attend an informational meeting, fill out paperwork, have a home study done, go to all the classes, get certified. And we waited and we waited, and then we got a phone call one day. She was born this morning. You can come pick her up this afternoon. Kia Regina Gelinas. Middle name Regina. Regina means royal one. There's that verse in the Bible, I quote it to her all the time, that talks about how how you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And what I always want her to know, that in addition to her mom and I choosing her, she's also chosen by God. And because she's chosen by God, she's royalty. She's the child of a king. We filled out the paperwork. We waited a little bit longer. We got a phone call. He's, He's 10 months old. You can come pick him up. His name... Gabriel, Gabriel, such a strong name, Gabriel, just like the angel in the Bible. Gabriel means what? God's a hero, and he has a heroic streak in him. He's going to turn this world upside down. Can't wait to see what God's going to do through him. Filled out the paperwork, attended some more classes, got a phone call. He's three months old, didn't have a name, so we named him James, James. Look at those eyes. Aren't those beautiful eyes? Because it just made sense because the first book of the Bible I read was the book of James. That's where I found out about God's heart for the orphan. And now that I am grown up and my wife and I building our family through adoption and this is going to be our last child. We have two boys and two girls and we'll ride off into the sunset together. That's how it was going to be. So I'll name him James, but then God has plans for our family as well. And one day... One day there was this woman in our church. She went to Ethiopia. She came back. Her heart was broken over all the orphans in that country. She sent me the email, told the story, sent a picture along with it of a girl, little girl named Meheret. Meheret. In Ethiopia, Meheret means mercy of God. And this woman told a story of young Mercy and how she needed a home. And you know what I did? I prayed for Mehret. I said, God, provide a home for Mehret. Give her the perfect mom and dad. And then I deleted the email. Because surely God can't ask us to do more. We already have four children, three adopted. We've done our job, so we can now step back and leave this to others. But as I've discovered, God speaks to my wife before he speaks to me. And she got, she got the email as well. And God told her, that, that little girl's our daughter. That's our next daughter. And so we started filling out the paperwork and attending classes and saving up money for an international adoption. And it took so long. And our heart was breaking. We're losing time with, with our, our next child. And, and I'm like, God, why is this taking so long? And then I had a moment with God, a moment where it dawned on me. How do you travel halfway around the world to a country with half a million orphans and only bring back one. (laughs) And so we said, is there another one? They said, yes, there is. His name? Temeskin, Temeskin. how do you say thank you to God in Ethiopia? How do you say thank you to God when he's been too good to you? How do you say thank you to God when he has caused your cup to overflow? In Ethiopia, they have a word reserved for saying thank you to God, Temeskin. So when I say, Temeskin, pick up your socks. Temeskin, it's time to wake up. What I am saying is God has caused our cup to overflow and I am so grateful. Here's a picture of all of us together sitting in the field. Look at us all smiling, looking at the camera. Parents, you know. Well, that's not how it works. That's really that's um <clears throat> the way you get a picture like that threats of early bedtime. That's how you get that picture. For a moment they'll do what you ask them to do, but I I stand before you and I say my cup does overflow. God has been too good to us. How do you travel halfway around the world to a country with half a million orphans and only bring back one? Better question. How do so many people live in this country? with half a million children in the foster care system. So many people with one of these that says the kind of religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless cares for orphans in their distress. And yet so many do nothing. Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter. What does it say in Exodus chapter 2? Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile River to take a bath. Doesn't that seem odd to you? She went down to the Nile River to take a bath. Now, I've seen the Nile with my own eyes. It's a beautiful river, and there is this urge inside you have to take a plunge. But she had other options available to her. She had servants who could have brought the waters of the Nile to her. She could have taken a bath in the palace. But she says on this day, I think I'm going to go down to the Nile River to take a bath. Doesn't that seem odd to you, especially when you consider what her daddy was doing? Exodus chapter 1, it says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born to you must throw into the Nile River. Throw all the baby boys in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter, I think I'll go take a bath in that. I think I'll go get in the water with all the bodies of the dead boys floating by. Why was she really there? Could it be that she was hoping that maybe I can't change the whole structure of society, I can't change what my dad is doing, I don't know how to stop all that, but I can go and I can get in the water and maybe one has survived, maybe one is okay. She didn't expect for there to be a basket floating, that there would be one safe enough temporarily in a basket floating by and all she had to do is go grab the basket and bring that one home. She wasn't expecting that, and yet that sure does describe the foster care system in the United States. That, so what we have right now is a river that is flowing through all of our backyards. And there are baskets. There are families. Some of you in this room are foster families. You are the basket. You are that place of safety that when, when all hell breaks loose in a child's life, when the one thing they're supposed to be able to count on, family, disintegrates, and then they get to go into a foster home. That's a temporary safe place with the hopes that they will be reunified and, and returned back to their family of origin. But that doesn't happen all the time. And so 19,000 baskets a year float by And age out of the system. 19,000 a year. That is, children turn 18 without returning back to their family of origin and without somebody coming and getting into the river and saying, that basket is mine. I'll bring that one home. That's 52 baskets a day. Age out. Child turns 18. Has to figure out how to get out of the basket on its own. How to wade to the shore. Where do I go on Thanksgiving? Don't know. Who's going to walk me down the aisle? Don't know. Who's going to take me to college? Don't know. I've aged out and I'm now on my own. That is life in America for American foster care children. They're temporarily safe, but they're waiting. They're waiting for someone Someone who will come to the river. Someone who will say, I will immerse myself in the life that has now become yours. Because you never know what you're going to find in one of these baskets. That, that in one of these baskets, someone found Nelson Mandela. In one of these baskets, someone found President Gerald Ford. In one of these baskets, Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, the one who would save his people. And dare we forget that Jesus was adopted by Joseph and he saved the world. You never know who you're going to find in one of these baskets, religion, religion, That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, gets in the river, looks for the baskets, brings them home. You know what every single one of these children have? All the orphans of the world and all the orphans in the foster care system, what they all have in common is they are deeply loved by God. Psalm 68 says he is a father to the fatherless. That when it comes to all the fatherless children of the world, including this one right here, God says, I'm their daddy. I will be their one who will be there for them. I will be their daddy. He is a father to the fatherless. But then how does he do that? He places the lonely in families. That's how God cares for the fatherless of the world. He places the lonely in families. That God, when it comes to all the orphans of the world, places them in our minivan that has the extra seat. At our kitchen table that has the extra chair. In our bedrooms that we can put bunk beds in. He is a father to the fatherless by placing the lonely in your family. That's how he carries out his fatherhood, by involving us when it comes to the orphans of this world. I once heard a woman say that there's a phrase Christians need to stop using. They fell through the cracks. Have you ever heard that? They fell through the cracks. It's usually after some tragic story on the news about some, somebody who grew up and did wrong and is now going to prison. And they're like, you know what? He was a foster child at one time. Nobody adopted him. He fell through the cracks. And look at what happened to him. And there was this woman I heard one time. She said, we need to stop saying that. Because as Christians that's not true. These children are not falling through the proverbial cracks of a system. They're falling through the fingers of... Of the bride of Christ. They're falling through our fingers. Because if he is a father to the fatherless, if he's a father, he's a husband. If he's a husband, he has a wife. If he has a wife, then she's the mother to the motherless. Did you follow that? If he's a father to the fatherless, father, husband, husband, bride, bride, mother, who's the bride of Christ? We are. So then whose children are Arizona's foster care children? Yours. They're your children. They're not falling through the cracks. We're dropping them, and they are left to figure out life on their own. Religion that God our Father accepts doesn't let that happen. Religion that God our Father accepts catches and holds and cherishes and nurtures and raises, and something is happening in this country. Something is happening. It's as if if Jesus is going from state to state, city to city, and town to town, and waking up the bride of Christ. He's going from church to church, and he is saying, do you hear? Have you been to the river? Can you hear the cries? And there's just a movement that is happening all across this country, and in large places and small as well. Possum Trot, Texas. Try and find it on a map. Even Siri couldn't find it for me. I asked her, I said, where's, where's Possum Trot? She said, I don't know what you're talking about. Possum Trot, Texas. Small little town in Texas. Doesn't have a grocery store. Doesn't have a gas station. But Possum Trot has a church. And the pastor of that church... Had his wife come to him one day and she said, There are children in the foster care system that need love. They need permanent homes. And he said, Honey, we can't do this. We already have two children, one of them developmentally delayed. I'm working two jobs, the church and another job. I don't make that much money. And I'm just, we're getting well along in years as well. We just can't do this. And his wife said, I know we can't, but we have to. We have to. And so they started taking children, fostering in their homes. They started taking children and adopting them. And when they ran out of room, finally that pastor got up in front of his church and he said, there is no better place to start over than Possum Trot, Texas. And his church said amen. And he began to tell them about the plight of children in the foster care system. Explain their lives to them. And this little church of 50 families started taking children in. Couples who had raised their children sent them off and thought they were going to live the empty nest. Started fostering and adopting. You had had sisters who had never been married and Prince Charming got lost somewhere along the way. And they're like, until he finds his way back, we're just going to buy a home together. And those two sisters started raising children together. And this little church... Of 50 families to date, do you know how many children they've taken in? Almost 200 children. That means right here, you you could take 200, and 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 how many children will be left in Arizona's foster care system? There are enough followers of Jesus right here in this congregation at Redemption Church to make a huge difference when it comes to the number of children waiting for homes, and something's happening. Something's happening all across this country. Small little towns like Possum and Trot, but also I think of eight years ago. Eight years ago when, when I did the math in my own city, we had 875 children legally free. Thousands of children in the foster care system, but 875 legally free. That is, they were no longer had the possibility of returning to their family of origin. So they were just waiting in the basket for somebody to come and bring them home. 875. When I did the math, 1,500 churches in the Denver metro area, 875 children. If every church took one child, you have a waiting list of families but not a waiting list of kids. If every Christian who had a Bible that said the kind of religion that God wants us to live out cares for orphans in their distress, what in the world could we do? And so I went to our lieutenant governor at the time and I said, I've done the math. There are enough followers of Jesus to empty the foster care system here in Colorado. She said, go for it. Go for it. And I said, okay, I'm going to make you a promise. 875 children, I promise you, will take at least 10%. I'll try and do my best to organize the body of Christ to take all of them, but you can count it. Put us down for 10% of those kids. And then I stood up before my home congregation and I said, guess what I promise you're going to do. <laughs> now how could I make that promise? Because for the Christian, caring for orphans is as natural as prayer and going to church and reading our Bibles. It's just a part of our faith. It's not just reserved for couples who can't have children biologically. It's just something we all take on Church history shows us shows us that. And so I I just put out the call to my church. I said, Everybody, we care for orphans. Now there's different ways you care for orphans. Some of you will foster and we need you to do that. Some of you will adopt and we need you to do that. But then we also need an army of people willing to support those who are doing foster and adopt. And I was so amazed at the different ways that people can come up with to support those who are fostering and adopting. There was one guy who said, you know what? I'm not gonna adopt. But what I will do is for every family that does, I'll buy them bunk beds. And that's what he's been doing. There was another guy who said, you know what, I'm not going to foster or adopt, but I own a construction company. So for every family that does, at cost, I will finish their basement or add an addition to their house so they can have more space. There was another couple who said, you know what, we just got our kids through college and so we have this money we were paying to the college that we will now start putting college funds together for every family that will take a child into their home. And what I have seen is the body of Christ coming together. What if all of us respond to the call and care for orphans and said, God, how do you want me to do it? The question is not, am I caring for an orphan? But how am I caring for an orphan? And I've seen this movement take place. But I've also seen the barriers. We all have barriers. Whenever God says something in his word, we can always come up with a reason why that applies to somebody else but doesn't apply to us. We have that when it comes to anything. And that's true when it comes to orphan care. There's all these reasons why somebody else should do it but I shouldn't do it. Have you heard the excuses? There's so many excuses. I'm too old. My grandmother raised me. I'm, I'm single. Then adopt a 16-year-old a and in two years they'll be out of the house. You can still get married. There's so many reasons we come up with as to, as to why we can't adopt. My, I would love one more than the other. Have you heard that? I can't adopt a child because I'll love my biological child more than the foster and adoptive child. I speak from personal experience. I have six children. If I've adopted, my heart can't tell the difference. It can't. All of them will steal your heart. All of them will eat your food, and all of them will take all your money. They are equal <laughs> opportunity <laughs> offenders. They are equal opportunity offenders. Can't afford it. Can't afford it. We already have kids. We can't afford to, to bring more children into our house. I get that. I get that. Economy's been difficult and, and listen, I'm a pastor living off a of pastor's salary trying to raise six kids. I know what it's like to try and come up with the money to, to go back to school and try and run down the Goodwill to see if you can find used school uniforms. I don't have any clue where, where college funds are coming from. So I understand the financial crunch, but we need to be real careful when we say, I can't afford to care for an orphan. Because what are we saying? What are we saying? I don't believe their daddy is going to send the check. He's a father to the fatherless. And when we say we can't take an orphan in our home because of finances, then we need to be clear about what we're saying. I believe God is a deadbeat dad who will not come through with the child support. He is a good supporter. He is a good provider. And he cares for all of his kids. We should never put that on him that he will not provide. He provides very well for his children. Finances can never be the reason. Why we stay out of the river, then what about pain? Pain. I can't foster. I can't adopt. My heart couldn't take the pain because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get in that river, and I'm going to see a basket, and I'm going to look inside. Oh, it's a little girl, and I'm going to go paint the room in my house, and I'm going to put the crib up, and I'm going to give my life to that little girl, and then she's going to move into the house. And then what happens? Something happens where she gets reunified back with her family of origin, which is a good thing. But what about my heart? What about my heart? I couldn't take that. My heart can't be broken again. It does hurt. hurts a lot. I showed you a picture of our family. There were six children, but when my wife and I look at that picture, we see ten. There are just four children that aren't there. For children we tried to adopt, but for circumstances different for each and every one of them were then taken and put in different settings. And we wanted them deeply, but but decisions were made that took them out of our life. And they took a piece of our heart with us. And as I stand before you now, I tell you there is a hole in my wife and my heart. Still, for all four of them, I'm supposed to have ten children. What do I do with that pain? It shouldn't hold us back. What gets my wife and I through the pain is the example of Jesus. Jesus shows us something about love, that love and pain go together. For God so loved the world that Jesus died on the cross. And so what Jesus shows us is that if we choose to love, we are choosing pain. And if we want to avoid pain, then we also have to avoid love. And so if we want to love, then we have to assume we're going to get hurt. Pain can never be the reason why we say, let the orphan stay in the basket and float by. Can never be the reason. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless cares for orphans in their distress. So in Colorado, we started Project 127. It it has now grown far beyond me and the church that I pastor. 20-some other churches are involved in this. And that 10% promise we made, we're at 30% now. We've taken 240-some children. We have another 130 families lined up. And Colorado is on its way to being the first state in the nation to empty the foster care system. Because the bride of Christ is waking up to the call of God But I'm wondering if you're going to beat us because I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen this many churches organized like you are with Arizona 127. I have never seen a government official like Clarence Carter make a video that you watched last week saying, Will you please come to the table and take these kids? I've never seen that. The government and the church working together on behalf of orphans. And so you have 14,000 children in the foster care system, but I look at all of you, all believing God's word and desiring to live it out. And I think Arizona is going to be the story that gets written in this country about how the bride of Christ woke up and did an amazing thing. And so I say, stay the course. Stay the course. Have that moment. Every single one of us needs to have a moment where we're like Pharaoh's daughter and we say, I have to get in the river. I know it's messy. I know it's full of pain. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. But I have a moment where I say, I have to go into the Nile River and take a bath in the midst of all of that. Have you had your moment yet where you realize this has to happen in your life? I remember my moment, I was walking out of a social worker's office, there was a trash can by the door, in the trash can was a book, I love books, and I can't stand books being in the trash, and so I I reached down and I said, can I have this book? She's like, sure, you can have it, and so I took that book home, and I started to read through it. You want to know what it was about? It was a book written for government social workers about what Christians believe. It was a book written for government social workers on how to talk to Christians about their faith. There was a chapter in this book about God's heart for the orphan. And as I read through that book, it explained Psalm 68, he's a father to the fatherless. It explained James chapter 1, verse 27. It explained Isaiah 58, spend yourself on behalf of the poor. And so what was supposed to happen is a government social worker, in addition to trying to take care of kids and deal with the crisis that's going on, is supposed to read this book to understand what our book says so that he or she can come knock on the front door of a church and say, we understand what your scriptures say, these children are yours. How backwards is that? No government social worker is supposed to be spending time trying to figure out what our God has already told us to do. It should be us who are lining up at all the different offices out there saying, we have read our scriptures. We have heard the call of God. God adopted me into his family, and now we are here to adopt as many of his children into our families because religion that God our Father accepts, we know what that is. And we are so sorry we have taken so long. We are so sorry that you have 14,000 children. We are so sorry that some of them are sleeping on social work office floors because there's not enough foster homes. We are sorry, but we are here because this is what our God has called us to. That's the way it should be. And thankfully, because of churches like you, that's now the way it is. And it would be my incredible privilege to pray for you as you move into the river deeper and deeper. Would you just bow right now? God, I thank you for this church. I praise you for this church. That there is a group of people who are not just pew sitters, but are seeking to live out their faith, regardless of what area it is. God, I pray right now that that as you begin to bring hundreds of children to redemption, I believe that's what you're going to do. There are going to be hundreds of children that will have a fresh start here because of moms and dads who say, yeah, I've got room in my heart and I have room in my life. God, I also recognize that there are people in this room right now who have been living this out for a long time. There are foster families here. There are adoptive families here. Will you give them everything they need to live out this call? Will you provide an army of support to wrap around them so that the day will come where it is said... That when it comes to the Phoenix area, no child is waiting for a home. Mm -hmm. All there are are Christians waiting for children. Make it so. And everybody said.